And welcome to It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. It's Tuesday, March 15th. And my guest for the program this week, a repeat offender. He is uh, rejoining us uh, for the second time this season. Brian Kalbrowski from For the Win, USA Today, and content on Hoops Hype and all over the place. And freshly returned from a little R&R in California. Brian, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Uh, hopefully hopefully the, uh, the listeners... Uh, find the repeat offense to be uh, permissible. <laughs> um, I, I thought about you over the weekend, and uh, and I wanted to have you on to talk draft period. But first and foremost, I think we saw – you and I talked about Mo Bamba quite a bit the last time you were on, and I think we saw the full range of the Mo Bamba experience over the weekend. Um, maybe the best game of his young career on Friday night uh, at Amway Center, and then, and then not much on Sunday in a loss – um, against Philadelphia Friday was against Minnesota. He played great and he was, he was spacing the floor, but he was active offensive rebounds. Um, of course the shot blocking was there. It's just Brian, it, it's the ups and downs and the inconsistency. I mean, he, he played significant minutes on Sunday and he's played well against Philadelphia all year. He and Embiid are buddies. Um, and, and he usually gets up for that game. Um, but it was rough. And, and, and I just wonder, and obviously we don't need to get into those two games specifically, but I just wonder when when you look at this team long term and when you think about the decisions the team has to make on Mo Bama this summer, um, we found out today Jonathan Isaac and Bull Bull will not play for the remainder of the year. So I think that obscures things a little bit more. Um, but we've seen Wendell Carter Jr. really emerge uh, over the last two months or so. And so, you know, the long term fit of Mo Bamba next to Wendell Carter Jr., I think, is a question. Um, and then I wonder what you think that the market might be in restricted free agency around the league for Mo um, and, and whether or not you think, you know, obviously you don't need to get into the, the finances too much. We don't know. Um, but but if you think it'll make sense for, for Mo Obama and the Magic's relationship to continue long term. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely am still a believer in Mo Bamba. Ultimately, I think that he has uh, the potential to be a good player. And I think while we say that about uh, young players a lot of the time, uh, and it's like, well, when does that potential get realized? When does that matter? At the end of the day, 23 years old is still a very young player. There were guys who were drafted in the first round last year, two in the top 20 picks, you know, Chris Duarte and uh, Davion Mitchell, who are both 23 years old or older. Um, and, you know, he already has as much experience under his belt and he continues to get better, um, you know, with that wingspan and, um, you know, with the, with the shooting ability that he showed on Friday night. Um, you know, you, you see you see what he can possibly be. Uh, ultimately, I think that he probably projects as a, a backup center uh, long term, um, at least over the next couple of years, barring some kind of great development of moving forward. Um, so that does hurt his value in terms of what his overall market could be in restricted free agency. There's also not a ton of teams uh, that are going to be looking to spend a ton of money on a backup center right now. Um, and I think that likely Orlando would be able to match any offer Mo's going to get. Um, the other thing that I think is kind of worth mentioning just in terms of, um, you know, this in particular, and we'll get into this later more, uh, is that it's a pretty big centric draft. A lot of the most yeah. interesting players in this draft are big men. So some of the teams that might be looking for a big man, even one that might not start right away, can potentially get that uh, in the draft and, you know, build around that instead. Uh, even if that player doesn't necessarily, you know, project in the starting five right away. Um, you know, that not only goes for some of the top names of, uh, in, you know, Chet Holmgren and 
uh, Paolo Bancaro and, and Jabari Smith, but also some of the uh, more interesting guys in a tier or two or three below that, um, you know, Jalen Duran and, um, you know, Walker Kessler. And uh, there's, there's quite a few guys that are going to be front court players uh, who will be selected in the front in the first round of this year's draft. So, um, you know, those are players who could potentially actually potentially hamper uh, Mo's draft, Mo's uh, free agency value as well. So uh, I think that, you know, I, if, I would imagine Mo comes back uh, to Orlando next season. Uh, I think that he probably has more value there uh, than he does other, uh, elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that, uh, ultimately, you know, you put in that time to develop somebody, you just start to see some of those flashes. And now it would be a shame to see him develop and kind of take off, uh, for another team after putting so many years, uh, and, you know, a high draft pick into developing a player like him. Yeah. That, <clears throat> that time and sweat equity means something to, yeah. uh, to front offices and development staffs. Um, certainly. And, and, and look, in Mo's defense, you know, he's, He's a he's he's proven this year he's been able to stay healthy for a whole season, which was a question mark heading in. Um, and B, you know, it's it, he's he, he's putting the work in. It's just a matter of whether or not it, it clicks. And I do think that there's been um, there's been a lot of instability, both as far as his role goes, um, as far as coaching goes and as far as the guys next to him go. Um, and so that's something that's been frustrating. And I think it's sort of hampered his development. Um we have seen, and we want to see more certainly, of Mo Bamba, of RJ Hampton, of Franz Wagner on the floor with Markel Fultz uh, since he has returned. It's been it's almost light night and day when you watch uh, when you watch the way the offense flows with him on the floor. Um, he's still on a minutes restriction. It's going to be under twenty minutes, maybe through the, through the rest of the season. Um, I think they'll probably. Um, they'll probably be, you know, cautious as far as that goes. But what have you seen when you've had an opportunity to watch Markel? Uh, and were you surprised he was able to kind of hit the ground running the way he has so far? I mean, Markel is somebody who was a top pick in the draft for a reason. And he uh, seemed like a can't-miss prospect. So, you know, there's still a lot of stuff with Markel there uh, that makes him that intri- intriguing player. I mean, he's a very well-rounded player. Um, he's still a good scorer. You know, there's a lot of things about him uh, that I think should be intriguing uh, to Orlando and to other teams, um, you know, especially considering how crowded Orlando's backcourt uh, has become over the last season or two, uh, just with the way they've used their draft picks and, you know, who, who's kind of stepped up a little bit. So uh, Markel, I mean, the fact that he's, he's had some good flashes isn't surprising at all because, you know, it's not like he had some, you know, potentially career-ending injury. Um, it's not one of those things where, uh, you know, he tore his Achilles twice, you know, or whatever it might be uh, that is the potential hamper other people and the way they move and the way they, uh, you know, go across the floor. So uh, I think that Markel is somebody who can continue to get better. Um, and I think that he's still uh, somebody who could potentially be on a value contract, um, you know, considering the fact that, you know, he could be uh, a very interesting player. And that's, that's something that Orlando has a ton of, right? Is a lot of like, well, this could be something, right? Yeah. And and that, that at, yeah, at that point, it gets a little frustrating because it's like, okay, what is this could be something versus like, okay, what do we actually have here? Uh, and, you know, you, there's a lot of could be some things and you can only give minutes to so many of those kind of players um, because, you know, there are other guys who are also that, uh, you know, even in Orlando's backcourt. So, uh, it's certainly not surprising at all to see Markel have some, some good moments. And um, I think that, you know, on the right contract, he could, he could actually be a really valuable player. 
Uh, and and I, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for him because uh, he's had a, uh, one of the tougher go arounds, you know, in terms of uh, where he was picked among players uh, in recent memory uh, at or picked at that selection spot. Yeah, and, and that's part of the frustrating thing with, with J.I. is not being able to see him on the floor before the end of the year. It, it, it obscures all of those questions heading into the offseason. At, at the very least, we have a sense of what Markel looks like now. And then I think it makes it a normal offseason for Markel. Now he's going into the summer saying, you know, it, it's not a, a matter of rehab. It's not a matter of making sure I can play the, 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 the amount of minutes I want to play. I'm healthy now and I can just prepare um, – as you would a normal year. And I think, look, the questions with J.I. and even with Bull Bull, he's a restricted free agent as well. We won't see him the rest of the year. And the Magic basically just traded to get a look at him in the offseason. Um, but without knowing exactly what that looks like on the floor in real NBA competition with the guys that you have on roster, there's still a lot of guesswork involved. So um, that makes it a bit trickier. And there is, you know, in between RJ and uh, Tuma, there's there's a lot of, well, this, but we need to see it longer, but there might be something there. Um, and that's kind of that's what happens when you get into a rebuild. You basically end up with with a lot of question marks. Um, anybody else on the roster that you want to touch on? Anybody who's um, who's sort of surprised you or that you're maybe more intrigued? Um, Dell's been really, really good. Franz has, has taken I think Franz has hit the rookie wall a little bit. We probably expected that he also had a, a much higher usage in December and that caused a, a, a big bump in those numbers. Um, but any uh, sort of uh, 30,000 feet impressions of the team over the last couple of months? Yeah, I, I was going to bring up, um, you know, Franz in terms of where he's at now versus where he was. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's too concerning. I still think he's probably the second best player on the team right now. Um, and and ultimate, in terms of positive impact, um, ultimately, the, the thing that I was curious about is, is just, you know, where this is going to have him end up uh, in terms of, uh, you know, all rookie consideration. Uh, that's something I'm really curious about because Cade has really ascended lately. Yep. Um, you know, Scotty continues to have a great season. Evan Mobley is continuing to have a great season. I personally think that any um, all-rookie uh, candidacy or any any all-rookie list that doesn't have Herb Jones uh, on it in the first team would be an incorrect one. Um, so to me that, you know, we only one or two spots uh, for Franz and I probably would, uh, you know, put him there. Um, but, you know, Ayo Desumu is somebody who a lot of people still have liked this year. And, um, you know, there's some other guys across the league who Giddy. Uh, Giddy definitely too. have. Yeah, Giddy. I mean, uh, Giddy is definitely somebody who's going to earn some of that consideration. And, um, you know, it hasn't translated to winning, but it doesn't necessarily have to in Oklahoma City at this point in their trajectory. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I really, really like – so many of the rookies in this class. I think that I was nuts, really, yeah, there's, there's probably like eight to 10 guys who I would be like stoked to have on my roster. Um, and, and, you know, I, I definitely think Franz is towards the front of that list. Um, and I'm curious in terms of uh, where this all plays out. Like if he ends up getting that first team consideration or if he might slide down the second team uh, with that Wally set lately a little bit. Are you a, are you a Mobley for rookie of the year, no matter what, or do you think Cade, uh, do you think Cade's making his case? Uh, not no matter what. I mean, Cade can have a few more games that, that really are baffling um, that are kind of hard to say no to, you know, if they're, they're like, you know, I wouldn't have expected Carl Anthony Towns to do what he did uh, last night until he did it. So if, if Cade starts putting up games like that, um, you know, those are not the best. That's obviously things that are hard to imagine, right? Is what I'm yep. trying to say. Um, 
I, I, my vote still almost definitely will go to uh, to Evan Mobley because uh, of the way that he was able to just really transform Cleveland's defense uh, and turn pop, turn them into contenders, uh, serious contenders, especially uh, because of what he brings to the court and how they really are able to change the scheme, um, both on offense and on defense and just kind of the way basketball is played. Uh, You know, you don't see seven footers play on the court uh, as often as you do in Cleveland uh, anymore. So um, you know, just I think his overall impact on the league immediately, both with Cleveland's defense and Cleveland's style of play, uh, to me, give that vote to Evan Mobley. Um, but, you know, I think Cade is, is certainly earned uh, to be in that conversation now. And I think Scotty has continued to earn it all year long. Um, and I think, you know, Franz and Herb would probably be my other two picks for all rookie first team if I were to be uh, voting for that right now. Yeah, Kasha mentioned Desumu, um, uh, Kaminga, you know, Duarte was having a great year, uh, you know, before Indiana blew everything up before he got hurt. It's It's been a very, very impressive. Uh, yeah, even Sangoon. Rookie class Sangoon, absolutely. Boy, that guy's interested. I love watching that dude. Uh, he projects as won the load. Um, all right, let me ask you about Brooklyn before we get into the draft. Uh, the week it was an interesting weekend. Um, it, all, it always <laughs> is. It always is in the city. Um, where, where do you stand on all this? I'm I'm sure we're pretty like minded, probably on the need for the restrictions and why the rules existed in the first place. I think it's hard to look at it and say it's not a little goofy. And maybe the mayor is is a little outspoken about it when he doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, but, you know, KD made sure he clarified yesterday. He didn't want to diminish what he said. Um, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a weird circumstance, but I don't think anything's going to change. And I think that's probably what matters most. And I guess the really ironic part is that Brooklyn may be positioning themselves well to not have home court advantage in a big series. <laughs> the idea that game seven of the Eastern conference finals might be in Miami. And that could be a good thing for the Brooklyn Nets um is uh is a little mind-blowing the whole thing is just it's just goofy i guess yeah to me it's pretty easy to look at all of that and understand why james harden would want out um <laughs> like now that it, now that it's done now that the trade has happened now that everything is you know dust is settled we've seen james play in philly enough times we still haven't seen ben simmons play but that's a different conversation um it's easy to look at that and be like I don't want to be here. Like, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, not Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving some of the time, depending on policy change and the government and the city, depending on this man's willingness to take a shot. Like, I, I get that. And it would be frustrating for me. And I would probably prefer to play for, you know, the MVP front, play alongside the MVP front runner too, um, if I were James uh, in that situation. So uh, that's, that's kind of my initial thought on the matter. Also just kind of watching Philly, um, and Brooklyn, uh, you know, I think that Philly makes so much more sense um, with James Harden. You know, now that they have somebody who can really create off the dribble, um, and that's something that they really haven't had uh, from a jump shooter since. Shoot, man, maybe Allen Iverson. I mean, right. having having someone like Embiid is great for the post and great for uh, the way that you know they're able to play. Uh, you know, through Embiid, but you know, in, in the playoffs, um, you know, they, you you need someone like Harden. Uh, granted, Harden hasn't had the best track record in the playoffs, but, um, you know, this is going to be his chance to really turn those things around. And uh, in Brooklyn, you know, with, uh, with with all of the kids, I mean, it's just distraction after distraction almost. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to really lock in and, and almost take this, this season and this team seriously mm. um, with everything that's been happening for Brooklyn. And, um, you know, as much as I love watching Kevin Durant play basketball, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's the narrative is even about that. You know, Kevin Durant, I think is a top two basketball player on the planet. I don't necessarily think he's two, yeah. um, at least in terms of where he's at right now. And, um, you know, I wish it were just what situation where he'd be able to play his game and, you know, have the good teammates around him that he basically helped craft to create. So um, it's, it's a lot of drama. It feels a lot of unnecessary drama. Um, I, I, as much as the policy is, is absurd, I, I don't particularly stand behind any like free Kyrie uh, chance or movements about it because it's his choice. He has agency in the matter. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, if he wanted to end this tomorrow, he certainly could. Um, so I understand that that would look pretty weird uh, from him to, you know, hold firm for so long and then just do it. Uh, so I get why he won't do it. You know, he, he believes in this thing. He wants if to stand any, by it. Brian, if anybody's going to do that, it's him. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it would be, it'd be, it'd be crazy, but I wouldn't put it past him. He's Kyrie. Yeah. I also think that if the whole league was anti-vax, you know, Kyrie would be the first person telling everybody to get vaccines. You know, he's, totally. he's a contrarian to the ultimate degree. And I think that, um, you know, it's to his detriment sometimes. And, uh, you know, he's a man of principle and he stands by his principles. And, um, you know, I, I understand that too. And uh, I'm not telling him to change his principle, you know, by any stretch. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's just a little bit of a lot of, a lot of hubble over nothing. Um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of drama and I would, I would much prefer to just kind of watch everyone play basketball. And he has a way to do that for us. And he, he's choosing, uh, chosen time and time again to, to not, I'll give that to to the fans and to his teammates, more importantly. Okay, two quick hitters on Brooklyn before we get to the draft. Um, w- will it matter? Can they win the title anyways with all this? Yeah, I actually think they can still win the title. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that this year's NBA title race is fairly open. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Draymond uh, comes back. Um, he was, you know, came back from injury last night, and I'm excited to see what he brings. I think he's probably the most important player in the league down the stretch because they looked unbeatable with Draymond healthy earlier. So if he yeah. looks the same player he was before the injury, then Golden State might be my pick, but Phoenix is still great, and Milwaukee's still looking uh, the reigning champs. And, you know, down the board, though, there's a lot of teams who I think can win it, uh, Philly and Brooklyn both being among them. I mean, you know. Uh, at this point, maybe the only team that's in playoff contention who I think can't win it is probably the Lakers, uh, just because they look like they don't want to win it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of other teams are really hungry, and a lot of other teams have a ton of talent. I mean, there's a lot of guys who I could see really ascending to be uh, title team stars this year. John Morant would be the first name that comes to mind there. But you look around the league, and there are guys who are really trying to take that next step forward, and there are so many guys who are – uh, blossoming stars who want to do what cat what to want to do what Giannis did last year um you know and go from hey I'm a great player to hey I'm an NBA champion um and you know like I got like I mentioned Cat earlier Devin Booker uh John Morant you know in the West all of those guys um I think you know have that potential um and and I think in the East it, it's just as loaded and I think that Brooklyn definitely fits among that group and you know I think one two of the guys that are probably the hungriest right now um, have to be Embiid and Harden. Uh, they they probably feel like they have targets on their back a little bit because it was a very loud season for both of them. Um, Embiid's probably going to win the MVP, and if he can win MVP in the title in the same year, I mean, he just takes a huge step forward in terms of his legacy uh, to get both those things done at the same time and uh, really silence a lot of people. And 
Uh, Harden, you know, as somebody who doesn't really have a reputation of being great in the playoffs, could really, really, really use an NBA championship ring. Um, and between him and Kyrie and KD, he was the only one that didn't have one. Um, so I understand why he wanted to get out of there and get to a place where people were a little hungrier. Um, so I think Brooklyn could win it, but I, I don't know how I feel about their hunger. Um, and I think that that plays a huge role in driving people to win a championship. Um, but I certainly know their talent is there. How likely is it that Ben Simmons plays? In the playoffs or the season? Just I mean, yeah, I think before I next year. More like, yeah, I would say more likely than not. I, I would be, I would be surprised. I mean, he's not coming off an injury, like know. you know, like, it says back. Like, I mean, the, the injury report says back. He's got. Back I mean, what else? What was he? I don't know what else he was doing during these last however months. I mean, I, I don't you know you, you talk about drama. I mean, that's just an added layer, Brian. And and obviously, like it's much better for him, and and it cleared a lot of the air. But it's still, I mean, I'm not sure that dude is mentally ready to play. And I and, and I don't like speculating about that. But we know that's essentially what it's been. And for where they are in the season and for, the, for them to need to get him on the floor, ramped up in 12 games and then ready for the playoffs, I'm just not sure it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a thing about, I don't even remember, maybe it was a month ago, um, kind of speculating – uh, when all three players, you know, because KD was out at the time when I wrote this and uh, the vaccine stuff was sort of in the, in the you know, murky. You know, I was trying to speculate, like, when all three guys would be able to play again uh, on the same team with Ben and, and KD and, and uh, Kyrie. And at the time, I believe I speculated probably around March 15th, and I'm looking, and that's today. Mm-hmm. Um, and ben, ben is not playing today. Um, so uh, I, I'd be more surprised uh, if he didn't play. Uh, in, for the rest of the season, in terms of like including the playoffs, right. than if he didn't, um, I, I, I than if he did rather, I, I expect him to play. Um, but I don't know when, and I can't say I'm plugged in to say I have sources for when he will be there because he's just, a, he's kind of a hard guy to read. I just want to know how how Steve Nash is holding up through all of this. I mean, it's, it, <laughs> yeah. It's probably not the job he thought he was signing up. No, I'm sure it's not that. I mean, it's it, everything changes. It feels like once every two or three weeks uh, in that place, and really in that in that division in the Eastern Conference. I mean, there's a whole lot yeah. of you do Boston at the beginning of the year, and you think about Toronto. And that's another team. I mean, for what it's worth, that's another team I think could very easily win the championship. That's, that team's got um, the look, I mean, man. That is a dangerous yeah. team. Tatum has really ascended, and I really believe in their defense. Um, you know, and I think Jalen Brown is, is more than just a complimentary piece. You know, Jalen oh, Brown's yeah. another another real potential star. And, and I think that, uh, you know, Boston, you know, is one of the oh, – one of like the playoffs in the East are going to be really fascinating. I can't wait to see how the matchups break down too because uh, I, I think that, you know, top to bottom and, and honestly in both, in both uh, conferences, now that realistically the Lakers are going to be at the bottom and the Nets are probably going to be at the bottom, that means that almost all the way through it's going to be – if the Lakers make the playoffs, uh, it seems that, you know, have at least a fighting shot. Um, and, and I'm really curious to see how, how those matchups break down. Because I think that we've got, uh, you know, a ton of teams who could really win a title this year. A ton of teams. Does it feel like the prevailing uh, scouts, thoughts, opinion, wave, uh, whatever, has sort of transferred to Chet Holmgren as the number one pick? I, I, I think a lot of the question marks – uh, have been erased maybe over the course of the year. Obviously, March is always important, but it, it, the sense is that people have more have their questions have been answered a lot more than uh, than were expected as far as Chet goes. 
Yes and no. I would say the prevailing mood would likely be uh, that he has moved into that one spot. He feels closer to the one pick now than uh, he did when the last time you and I spoke when Jabari seemed to actually have that. Um, I, I've soured, I mean, not to say soured, I mean, still a top five projected pick, uh, it's it's a solid thing to be in terms of, you know, your long-term value and your short-term value, but I've fallen a little bit on Paolo. Um, you know, I think that he's, he's a really interesting player who I think, uh, can make a really, really positive, uh, impact in, in the NBA. But, um, I, to me, it's not really him in that number one pick conversation, uh, as much anymore. Um, but ultimately like Chet, you know, a lot of the concerns that Chet has are about his body type. Um, and I think that that hasn't changed. So a lot of the folks that I talked to, a lot of the scouts that I talked to that had concerns about Chet both headed into the season. And once they saw him, um, you know, still have a lot of the same concerns. It's not like he randomly put on a ton of muscle over the last few weeks and months. So. You know, he's got some more questions to answer during the tournament. Um, you know, I, I I sort of like having him as my one right now. I feel pretty comfortable and confident with it uh, just because of his uniqueness. Uh, I think the uniqueness factor is a, is a huge reason why um, I certainly tend to go towards number one prospects um, in their placements that they do. I mean, one of the reasons why I personally had LaMelo over Anthony Edwards when I did my big board for that class was because of, you know, Edwards uh, was a obviously really, really solid, um, you know, projects as a really great scorer in the NBA, uh, you know, but kind of prototypical NBA wing, whereas LaMelo was something we hadn't seen before. Right. Um, and, th- and that uniqueness just kind of, I mean, it's the difference between one and two or one, two and three or whatever it is. It's nothing, it's not like a huge drop off. Uh, but but I tend to go towards the more unique player, um, and, and Chet is is that guy. I mean, um, you know, I I the things that blow my mind when I when I watch him play is the fact that he can truly and sincerely like block a shot, take the ball up the court in transition, and pull up for three all in the same possession, and literally shoot a three pointer off the dribble and connect it. Like that has happened during the course of game action. Like that's something that you wouldn't even think to do in NBA 2K because it's just like such an impossibility factor, but, you know, to show your defense, your ball handling and you're shooting off the dribble um, at that age, it's insane. And I really, really like, uh, you know, his, his, what his, his overall game. It's funny because the, because you're right. Like, it's not like you put on a lot of weight and those questions were going to be there all year, but it's almost, I, I, I think maybe seeing it in practice um, alleviated some of those concerns because it's like, I don't know why anybody thought he was going to be a back to the basket in the post scorer yeah. and, and, and on the other end, like he's going to be a, a, a Mo Bomb, you know, defender, a help side shot, shot blocking rim protector. And yes, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. can put his butt into Chet Holmgren and back him down onto the block. But if you're letting that happen as Chet Holmgren's coach, then you're not then you're not treating Chet Holmgren right. I mean, yes, I think you you're gonna have to sort of acquiesce and and build around him on the front line. Like you don't want that to happen. He's gonna need help down 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 as far as banging goes. But I I think we all knew that that was gonna be the best way to use him, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, he he plays his own style, and that's another reason why um, it's gonna be interesting to imagine you know, who gets that one pick because this is going to be a team that's going to be willing to let him, you know, be that kind of defender and that kind of player on offense. Um, you know, I, I, I think that 
uh, that's something that, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly options in the draft who might be closer to plug and play guys. Um, and he, he isn't necessarily a plug and play guy. He is more of a, um, you know, build things around him and, and uh, you know, kind of try to cater towards his eliteness. But, you know, I, I personally think that he can uh, – his realistic, like, likely outcome is closer to, like, a Jaron Jackson Jr. Right. And that's if things don't go great. Um, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is a really, really, really solid NBA yeah. player. Um, and I think that he's – I think he can be way better than Jaron is in the NBA too. So, um, I like Jaron a lot in college. I think that, um, you know, I think that uh, he's he's lived up to – what people maybe thought he was going to be. Some people thought he was going to be a, a star, but I think Jaron's always kind of projected as like a really, really solid uh, NBA player. And that's, that's something I think Chet can be as well. Uh, but I think Chet has a ceiling to do more than that. Is maybe the drop off for Paolo like concerns of, okay, it's a, it's a six ten body with a guard skill set. Like how does that necessarily translate? Is he going to be able to play the way he's playing at the next level? Yeah, I mean, people often compare him to Julius Randle. Um, I think considering his some of his playmaking, uh, that's that's fair. Um, you know, I think that he he might be even a little bit potentially better than Julius Randle uh, in terms of his long term uh, overall ability in the NBA because you know Julius had a mostly like um, underwhelming uh, career besides last season. Um, you know, I think that. I was uh, pretty high on Julius coming into the draft. And uh, I think that Paolo can kind of uh, have, a, have a similar impact. Um, you know, I think that uh, Paolo is somebody who is, is um, overall like a, a solid impact player. I think he could have a high, a uh, high impact even, um, but I don't quite see the same like multiple all-star type uh, trajectory for him. Um, so it's not even about will it work or will it not work? I, I think that it will work with Paolo. Um, you know, I, I think that I could easily foresee a scenario where Paolo is a starting NBA player, you know, for shoot, man, who knows, decade, you know, that that's a realistic projection for him, I think. And I think not an unfair one, uh, especially with his build. I mean, he certainly looks the part and, um, you know, he's got a good shooting touch. He's, he's got good guard skills, like you said. I mean, you know, dribble, pass, shoot, or things you need to uh, succeed in the NBA. Um, to me, I just don't quite know what his calling card is. Like, mm. is he elite? Is he elite at any one thing? Is he is he really blowing uh, blowing me away when I watch him play for anything in particular? Um, and you know, I think Jabari's ability to create off the dribble uh, and shoot so fluidly at his size, you know, does blow me away. And Paolo has a lot of the same fluidity, but it's never quite been something where my jaws left on the floor. Um, you know, and I think that uh, it, it's not a matter of will it work or will it won't work with him. I think more likely than not, it will work. And the team that's going to get Paolo, I think is going to get a solid NBA player. Um, but I think that it's a little bit less, uh, a little bit less of like, a, you know, electrifying pick potentially yeah and i guess you know that is partially because of who i guess is are carving their way into the top five and i would assume that's Jaden ivy um right. and keegan murray so like Jaden ivy like you watch him for five minutes and you're like okay that dude is uh he's a top five pick like that guy is an yeah. nba guard i mean the, the john morant comparisons are all over the place but it feels like I, I don't know it feels like both those guys 
could do exactly what you're saying, sort of supplant um, maybe even, you know, a few of these guys in the top five. I mean, a, a, a big performance from either of those two Big Ten guys. Um, and I think we might be talking we might be talking about them in the top three, don't you think? Yeah, 100 percent. And I think, you know, like Johnny Davis has gotten some of that buzz. Uh, I mean, you know, if A.J. Griffin goes on some heroic run during uh, Coach K's final season, like A.J.'s, you know, had a little bit of a, uh, a like a different type of a prospect season. Um, but I think it kind of is, you know, relatively similar to like what like a Devin Booker did in college, um, you know, and sort of that like young player bench role still the numbers pop off the page when you look at them in terms of like the splits of it. Um, you know, I think that uh, the overall impact uh, that AJ's had, you know, both at the rim and beyond the uh, perimeter um, make him a really, really, you know, tantalizing prospect too. Um, just we haven't seen it as much, but you know, he's, he's putting up like pretty historic numbers in terms of his three point shooting and ability to finish at the basket. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, since since Amani Bates basically left the Memphis program, you know, that that team is really turning around. I could see, you know, Jalen Duran like really turn turning things around uh, you know, during the tournament too, and um, you know, earning himself, you know, real top five consideration. I mean, uh, Memphis could could uh play Gonzaga game too. Uh and Memphis is probably the hottest team in the country right now. And I don't think Memphis would beat Gonzaga, but let's say they do, and let's say Jalen really shuts Chet down. I mean, he's in that he's in that top three, top four conversation immediately. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he might already be for some teams. Um, you know, there's a lot of Dwight Howard in him, and Dwight Howard was an incredible NBA player during his time, uh, his prime. And um, I think that you know because he's getting those comparisons, you know, those are those are potentially real. I I've heard from scouts that have concerns about Jalen's motor, um, and you know, effort is something that you know a lot of teams value, and uh, you know, if his motor is poor. You know, there are some teams that wouldn't even want them at all. You know, I don't want a big with a with a low motor is something that a lot of few teams feel around this league. So, uh, you know, I think that if they could, uh, you know, see more effort from him during the tournament, uh, maybe then uh, that motor won't be a concern as much. But, uh, you know, Johnny Davis for Wisconsin is another guy who continues to to rise. I mean, like there's there's a lot of guys in this in this tournament who who I think. Uh, with a good tournament, could could really leapfrog, you know, some players. Like you said, Keegan Murray is one of them. And, um, you know, your, your boy Malachi at Ohio State's another one. You know, like, not to say top five consideration for these guys, but, you know, there are players who, who weren't necessarily top 20 uh, last time you and I spoke, um, who, who I think, you know, with a good tournament um, could really certainly find their way into lottery and potentially first half a lottery. Yeah, Duran, God, you see the body and then you watch for a little while and you're like, oh, there's 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 something I like and there's something that I don't like necessarily. I mean, you can uh, if it all clicks, that guy's going to be a monster. Um, and I mean, yeah, he looks like he's ready for uh, uh, for the league immediately. Last thing, um, a couple teams, a couple blue blood programs. You mentioned some of the Duke guys. Tell me about the guys at Kansas and Kentucky who you think specifically might make big jumps. Um I, every time I watch Kansas, my eyes are drawn to Christian Braun, and I'm like, that dude, like, he's going to have a role somewhere. I know that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, Christian Braun uh, is another one of those guys who uh, just kind of fits the NBA mold, right? He can do so many of the things you need, you know, like, close to 40%, you know, from three, and, you know, 
close to 67% at the rim and, you know, can dunk a little bit and, you know, like is able to, uh, you know, make a, make an overall uh, impact on the team for winning. But, you know, O'Shea is definitely the player who uh, has a little bit more, um, you know, uh, buzz right now surrounding him. And uh, I certainly understand it. I, I like O'Shea's game a ton, you know, yeah. one of the nation's leaders in dunks and uh, really took a ton of uh, steps forward uh, with his ability as a shooter this year. Um, he's the case study uh, to me in terms of when players say, you know, should I go back to school or should I stay in college? Like, what should I do? I mean, you know, he's having like a, like a Desmond Bain, like Ascension, not to say that their games are particularly similar, but you know, O'Shea was maybe mid-second round last year if he would have come out, potentially even undrafted. And I think the same with Desmond Bain if he had come out after his junior year um, and, you know, put in that work, you know, really worked with the, with the right trainer, with the right people, um, and, and figured out how to get his game to the next level. Uh, and, and he's really done it. Um, and, you know, he was always a really tantalizing athlete, a uh, really appealing athlete. But now O'Shea has also got the playmaking and the on-ball skills and the shooting uh, to be a potential lottery pick. So, um, you know, you ask about Kansas, I mean, O'Shea, you know, in his senior year has put it all together and that's, uh, that's outstanding. Um, you know, you ask about the blue bloods, we were talking about Duke earlier, but you know, Wendell Moore and Duke had a sort of yeah. fairly similar, uh, season. I mean, he, he slowed down a little bit in terms of the buzz surrounding him. Uh, but you know, Wendell, uh, was somebody who always looked like a football player on a basketball court, like, Never right. Never really seemed to make a ton of sense out there, but you know, this year uh, kind of took over as uh, the playmaker for Duke, and uh, his shooting got better, and he started dunking more, and he started doing the things you need to do uh, to be a plus NBA player. And I don't think he's going to run the offense at the NBA level like he's doing at Duke, um, but I do think that he can be, you know, a plus playmaker, uh, a solid play, uh, passer, somebody who can make an impact on that uh, in that way. And I think that you know that makes him. Uh, super intriguing too and he was somebody who I don't think would have gotten drafted last year uh, if he had come out and now I think he's you know potential first round potential even lottery pick um, you know I've seen big boards from NBA teams that have him even higher um, so I, I really think that uh, you know those are the kind of guys who intrigue me because um, you know typically guys who aren't pros after their first three years don't end up making the pros and guys who take that leap you know uh, eventually are, are really fascinating. Wendell's only a junior, but O'Shea as a senior is, is something like that. And you, uh, you asked about Kansas. What else did you ask about Kentucky? Kentucky, yeah. Tell me about uh, Ty Ty and uh, Oshibwe. Yeah, I mean, you know, Oshibwe, like, like Oscar is, has, really, uh, has really become like a fascinating player uh, because, you know, he, he's just such a monster rebounder. I mean, he's not – ginormous so i don't know how much it translates but right. you know he clearly has um you know an insane ability to to get to the basket as a dunker um you know be able to um you know really really uh make an impact as a rebounder at the highest level uh and, and just continue to um you know help kentucky win i mean he's you know a national player of the year consideration and that was uh not something i would have expected from him heading into the year uh before the transfer so or after the transfer and uh ty ty i i really like ty ty a lot um the player that kind of I, he reminds me of a little bit is like Monte morris uh, on denver who you know spot starter this year because of jamal murray and stepped up in a big way but you know Ty Ty has a, a ginormous like assist to turnover ratio, like really, really handles the ball well um, without giving it up. 
Um, and, you know, in terms of uh, his size, it's a bit of a concern. He's a smaller player, but, you know, his shooting has been outstanding in the past. And, um, you know, he's a really, really solid player in the pick and roll. Uh, and I think that he's, uh, I mean, and it's a class that's really, really weak on point guards, legitimately weak on yeah. point guards. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if it's going to, um, you know, it's just, I guess, just sort of how to crumble sometimes. I don't think it represents anything bigger. It's just kind of a weird coincidence maybe. Uh, but in a class that lacks, um, you know, primary creators and ball handlers, um, you know, he, he and Johnny Davis are both guys who uh, are going to be really intriguing right away because, um, you know, he, they, they're able to do that. Uh, and, you know, I think that he's somebody who kind of has a low usage rate. And, and I like that. That's something that like Tyrese Halliburton had out of college too, um, is, you know, keeping that usage rate low means that you can play with other guys. You know, you don't need the ball to run through you uh, at the NBA level to still make an impact. Um, and you're not going to get the ball very often, you know, in the early years of your time in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, so Ty Ty's ability to, to do uh, positive things uh, without necessarily, um, you know, having the ball in his hands the whole time uh, or having the plays, you know, having him as a finisher for every possession uh, overall make him uh, an intriguing player to me for sure. Uh, I like Ty Ty's game a lot. Um, quickly before we go, I've got Kansas UCLA as my, uh, as my final, would you like to, would you like to, uh, to make a proclamation? I, I haven't filled out a bracket. Uh, I haven't filled out a bracket this year. Uh, I likely will, uh, do it today. Um, I think, you know, there, I, before the season I had Purdue as my team. There you um, go. I, I don't know if I'm gonna, uh, feel as confidently about that once I actually fill out the bracket, but that was my preseason prediction. Um, I was just, I just kind of saw, uh, you know, Jaden Ivey being one of those guys who, who wins the college national championship. Um, you know, I think, uh, there's a lot of teams that are, that are, <laughs> that are like in, in that like level though. So it's going to be wild. Um, there's no, yeah, yeah, there's no Gonzaga or Baylor except for Gonzaga and Baylor. Uh, but, but yeah, exactly. out there. But like Purdue's a great example. Like, okay, with uh, with Edie and Williams up front, and then Ivy. Like, that's that's a championship team for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. God, the Big Ten was such a grind this year. Um, all right, thanks. This has been far too long. I, I appreciate all the time. As always, we'll check in again, uh, maybe around lottery time or something like that. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, many thanks as always, Brian Kelbrowski. Read all his stuff. Uh, USA Today for the win. Hoops Hive on Twitter at Brian Kalbrowski and Jake Chapman. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Mostly Magic Podcast. Until then, have a great week, everybody.